And welcome to Gleaming in the Geek. Those freaking white socks edition. <laughs> I'm John Bonus of Twitch Daily. With me, Eric Gleaming of The Athletic. Now, if you were subscribed How? to the Patreon, you would have heard a different word than freaking. <laughs> That's really the only difference between the free show and the Patreon. And did you by chance read, uh, read uh, Red Bell Stew's story this morning? I didn't. I'm not uh, that much of a early ri- I mean, I'm an early riser, but I'm zoned out for the first three hours of every day, basically. But I, I always read it when I get home. I, I got to show you the headline. Does it say freaking? <laughs> no, it does not. Friggin'? Uh, this is good radio. Yeah, I know. Start Sorry. Show, yeah, here we go. John. It says, Satan pleased with white socks. <laughs> yeah. It's fantastic. It's so brilliant. That's on uh, twinsdaily.com. Uh, Ramball Stew, former multiple-time guest, although not in a while. Maybe no, we, should have him we should probably have him back on. Yeah. Um, he's, out of pr- <laughs> he's out of prison, right? He's available to do <laughs> podcasts. A fair amount of that story talks about White Sox fans you know, being on parole or something. <laughs> oh, well, then I really brought it back to that. Uh, yeah, the twin- watching the game, the team in between court dates. <laughs> Is that well? That's really just all. Ba- I mean, I'm look. I'm not going to defend White Sox fans by no by any means. No, but that really is mostly based on that f- like brother or uh, <laughs> father son, son. Fa- yeah. <laughs> right. from yeah. like 15 right. years ago that right. beat up the first base coach. That's- was it the Royals' first base yeah, coach? I right. want to say something yeah. like that. Uh, anyway, since last we spoke, the Twins won three out of four at home from the Royals and then went to Chicago and lost the first two uh, in a pretty frustrating fashion. Right. And they're both a very frustrating Appeared fashion. to be uh, set to get swept at various points yesterday. Also in frustrating you, fashion. Well, yeah. And very fr- I mean, that was one of the... Even the win was uh, very frustrating yesterday. <laughs> I I felt uh, I went over. The last inning was nice. Yesterday I <laughs> I was uh, scheduled to do Dan Barrero show at three thirty, and the game started at uh, one ten, and so I was like, okay, well. And then he they booked uh, the wild general manager Bill Guerin for three o'clock in studio for an hour, and so they said, can you can we do four with you? And I thought that's perfect because then I can wait till the game ends. And then head over to KFAM because the games have been ending in <laughs> you know course. two and a half hours. Sure, uh, ended up uh, w- the game ended in the twelfth inning, midway through my second segment live on the radio, <laughs> where we were like, "There's a good pitch." Like it's like we're like, doing play by play, even though you're not supposed to do that. But yeah, it was. Uh, I'll make the same joke I made uh, on the radio yesterday, which is if you can get the Twins line up to the twelfth inning. They really explode <laughs> offensively. It's those first eleven innings. They just take a little time to warm up. Yeah, they just yeah, it's like a car that needs extra time to warm up in the winter. But yeah, so we're going to talk a lot about the lineup, obviously, which is uh, so up and down. I mean, the I will say that when we previewed this White Sox series uh, five days, four days ago, or whatever, <laughs> right? We said, now look, they've been really bad, and their ERA is horrendous. However, the actual names involved starting these games, right. Lucas Giolito, Dylan Cease, on and on, Kopech, Kopech in the first <laughs> right, game, yeah, right. these are legit guys yeah. and in past years have been you know all-star caliber or better guys. So let's not go completely nuts. I think we that, saw that, some of that. What, that was what has been most surprising to me about the White Sox this year. This team 
Well, there's two things that have been surprising to me about them. The first is their bullpen's better than I thought it was going to be. <laughs> but, but the second is that their rotation was just so much worse starting out right. the season than we thought they were going to be. And, you know, we, the Twins ran into their three top guys, right. you know, unfortunately. And it felt to me like you know, we spent the first – Two weeks of the season saying, yeah, I don't know about this offense. I don't know about this offense. And then the next two weeks of the season, we're like, eh, offense is coming around. We did point out, I don't know if it was on the Patreon or last Friday, the first two weeks of the season, they ran into a lot of good pitchers. And the second two weeks of the season, they did not run into many good pitchers. And True. Uh, <laughs> They've also, however, uh, been the best performance for a lot of pitchers this year. Well, in that, other that, words, that, that's we true. saw that with the White Sox. Now, Dylan yeah, Cease true, is right. not as bad as he's looked, although they got to Dylan Cease mm-hmm. decently. And even Kopech, they, they worked. almost had him. Right. Ugh, uh, Larnick. But, yeah, so, I don't <laughs> I know. know. The, Jeffers, right? Jeffers was the one. I yeah, that ran into the, the base. Yeah, that was. Uh, Ugh. When you're a backup catcher, <laughs> making big things happen on the base pass should not be uh, your priority. Well, even more frustrating is it looks like he was safe to begin with. And the, well, they had but, lost their challenge earlier in the game, right? No, that was, and that was the one where they lost their challenge. It looked like he was oh, safe, and they didn't right. overrun it. And then, yeah, Castor was safe at second base, right. and they t- they'd lost their challenge. Yeah, the uh, the running game ain't real improved from last no. year. In terms of... Uh, well, it didn't work that magic. Qu- quantity, <laughs> quality, efficacy, anything you want to do. Smartness, certainly. Uh, that's a word. Uh, so they, they salvage one of three in Chicago with a 12th inning win. As frustrating as it was for them not to be able to... You know, Buxton hits the game. Correa hits a homer early. And then it's two to one for most of the game, and Buxton comes through yet again in yes. a huge spot right. to tie the game with a homer. We're going to talk about him and the the stretch he's had here. And then Nick Gordon comes through in a big spot versus a left hander in well, the twelfth inning. But that was much later. As, yes, right. As right. frustrating as it was then to have it two two, and the Twins to have tons of opportunities throughout that game, including in extra innings when you start each inning with a guy on second. Obviously, the flip side was. The bullpen was nails. I mean, first of all, Pablo Lopez was pretty good, too. Right, you're right. Yes. Uh, except for <laughs> really one good. pitch to Eloy Jimenez, and then he went seven innings with eight strikeouts, one walk, and he, he looked good. Um, and the bullpen came in and was constantly in trouble, some of it of their own making and some of it because of the extra inning rules. Right. And then Baldelli was just pushing buttons like crazy. They intentionally walked five White Sox hitters, including <laughs> Benintendi in front of Billy Hamilton twice in the exact same situation. Right. The first time Billy Hamilton, who you may rem- Twins fans may remember for his stretch in September on the Twins. Ten days stretch right. in September on the Twins or something. Right? Incredibly yeah. fast. The He's the all-time record holder for steals in a minor league season with like 130 or something like that. And early in his career, he was an everyday player for the Reds, and then they realized, oh, he's incredibly fast and a really good center fielder, but he cannot hit a lick. And so later in his career, including his stint with the Twins, uh, he's basically just a pinch runner and defensive replacement. But the White Sox used him as a pinch runner, and he caused havoc on the bases. He was great. He tends to do, except then they ran out of bench players, and there was the extra innings. And so Benintendi, who's killed the Twins, I feel like, for his whole career, um, was up in front and of just him. And just a just a smart at bat every time. Right. Just, He's just not a high so, strike. So uh, so often hits it to the opposite field. Just absolutely takes what you give him. He's he is fun to watch. Except you look at his overall numbers and you go, how is this guy well, not that good? So that that is what it, I was going to bring that up at one point too. Like uh every time 
somebody wants to talk to me about Kepler's contract, the comparison they want to do is sort of, well, you see what, what the numbers that Ben Intendi puts oh, up. You see yeah. the numbers that Kepler puts up. Ben Intendi got a five-year, $75 million deal. What could Kepler get on the open market, right? Yeah. Now, now, I'm always like, yeah, but. 75 million. <laughs> yeah. Well, first of all, people pretty much pan that contract that the White No, Sox no, I agree. Out, I agree. Yes. I agree. I agree with you 100%, right? The, the point being that the $10 million option, one-year option on him is a no-brainer to some extent is what this what oh, those people Kepler. are trying to bring down. Yeah, the Kepler. We'll right, see. right. No, I agree with you. I'm, uh, the, I'm the same. I'm like, yeah, but. <laughs> and I, I, I felt it's interesting that you bring up that the same thing that we say about Kepler, people say about Ben Attendee, which is like, he looks like such a good player. Right. How is he and, not better? How, how do we not see the numbers? And that he's we had see? some good years, but I think, but he feels to me like his WPA has got to be better than that, better than his numbers or something like I that. Because he just always Kepler's is get, not. Maybe he's just really good against the Twins. Yeah, I mean, I there's know. some guys who just <laughs> right, yeah. kill the Twins. Right, not yeah, that like right. Salvador Perez hasn't been a great player throughout sure, his career, but right. it, like you would think Salvador Perez is uh, Johnny Bench based on what he's done against <laughs> the Twins. But right. so anyway. Twice in the same spot, they intentionally walked Benintendi, who's a really tough guy to pitch to right. in sort of a do or die spot because he's right. always going to put the ball in play. Right. And in both spots, they put him on intentionally to pitch to Billy Hamilton, who is such a nothing offensively that the first time he tried to bunt right. with two outs, by the way, right. uh, yeah. and popped it up. I'm surprised it wasn't two strikes as well. Well, there was one <laughs> strike. I think he took a strike. Uh, and then the second time, he. Seriously looked like if you put like a high school player up there against Emilio Pagan, which <laughs> yeah. I'll give Emilio Pagan credit. He threw a yeah. scoreless inning yes, in a did. very he, big he, spot. And, and frankly, he, he was one of the least dramatic of the relievers That's true, overall. Yeah. You know, you say the relievers were nails and they were because they ended up with scoreless innings. But they also seemed to you know walk people at the beginning of innings. or like well, th- it was always five insane. of their seven walks were intentional. Well, OK. Yeah, I suppose, uh, right. So they pitched. What did they pitch? Five innings. They allowed one hit. You mean yesterday? You're talking about yesterday. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Five right. innings yes. yesterday. Right. Yes. I'm only talking about yesterday right. when I yes. say they okay. were nails. Right. Uh, they were not nails uh, earlier in this year. <laughs> uh, but okay. the swings that Hamilton put on Pagan, I feel like if this was flipped and the Twins were the White Sox, or Twins fans were White Sox fans, uh, they'd have to have like lobotomies to make that happen. <laughs> but uh, I don't know why we say stuff like that. I'm sure there's some White Sox fans listening. I, I don't really mean this, unless I do, in which case... Maybe those, you're those White Sox fans in Iowa. <laughs> well, if there's any of those, I I do mean it. Uh, but think how frustrating that would have been from a White Sox stand, fan standpoint to watch in the what tenth and twelfth inning as you have no moves to make and you right. have basically like a non-hitter right. up there, yes. hitting in the biggest spots of the game. And both times it worked out in the Twins' favor, obviously, and that played a huge part. The other big play was. Though, I will say this. You know that's that's often used as a criticism when you put in a pinch runner, right? Like we we've done that with Baldelli. We're like, yes. is it really worth it? With Hamilton, it's worth it. Like when they put in Hamilton as a pinch runner in that situation, it was damn near a, another run. Like he made he makes right. his way around the bases for you. Yeah, except it didn't. <laughs> it it did, wasn't. He, uh, he got as far as third. Right, that's <laughs> a few the, different times. That's the beauty of the, baseball. The you other can... thing about that is that if you end up getting him as the third out, you walk Ben and Tendy in front of him. Well, he's the guy sitting on right. second base, which to is what happened. Nice inning, right? right, which is not where you want him to be. But the other huge moment from that game <laughs> was Hanser Alberto, who made a big error at Target Field to basically hand the Twins a win earlier this season, right. is uh, not a, a big fan favorite with the White Sox in uh, a month into his Chicago right. yes. career. Um, swinging through a pitch for strike three that hit him. 
Yes. And I don't mean like he fouled it into himself. I mean like if he would have just stood there, it would have beamed him. Right. Uh, yeah. And he would have been on first base and it would have been game over because the bases were loaded bases against were lo- Brock yeah. Stewart. Yep. Um, that is also a huge spot. It reminded <laughs> me kind of of the Brandon Kinsler uh, jersey situation in game right. 163, however many years ago that was, yeah. where it's just like, wow, what a strange play in the biggest possible or highest possible leverage uh, situation. But yeah, I mean – one win is one win, but it feels so much different to win the finale of a three-game series uh, in Chicago when you did not play well at all uh, versus getting swept all three would have been uh, – look, they still would have – here's the thing. Both the first two losses of that series, Cleveland lost that same day both times. Right, yes. And so right. the Twins yeah. are up three and a half games right, right now. They gained – well, yeah, I guess. <laughs> right. Well, they didn't gain ground, but they're more likely to win the division because they've eliminated right. three games from they the schedule. They gained ground since Tuesday. <laughs> right. They're three and a half up on right. Cleveland, and Cleveland is 14 and 17 with like a negative, I don't know, 20 run differential. Right. And look, I, I feel like we might be having this conversation every week for the whole season where we say, well, we think we still view Cleveland as dangerous and they might still be favored to win the division despite the slow start. But. That's what makes this upcoming series in Cleveland three games that starts tonight well, and, and, so and interesting. This is, and this is not a series. This is not a series like uh, the White Sox in that they've got their top three guys going against the Twins either. Right. They, they've got their right. Bieber know, pitched uh, two days ago, right? And McKenzie's hurt, and and uh, what's his name is hurt too. CC, no, not CC. Uh, CC Sabathia. No, no. I heard he's healthy. I think Dylan Cease is what I was thinking about. No, who's the guy? The guy who's hurt. I don't know. I'm blanking. Um, yeah, Battenfield has not been very good they're, as a rookie. They've had to turn to their, much like the Twins, I guess, their right. sixth, seventh, eighth starters already, a lot of whom are you know, not Bailey Ober-esque. Right. They're yeah. more, not even Louis Varlin-esque, they're more uh, you know, Brent Hedrick-esque, <laughs> uh, which you know, can right. be a good right. thing, yeah. especially right. Cleveland. Whenever they call up a pitcher... I always like to watch their first couple appearances because I think to myself, is this guy a random guy or is this guy 10 years from now going to be? is the guy I'm thinking of. No, so. He's not good anyway, so that doesn't well, matter. He has been good. <laughs> Look up his numbers. You're not, not that, I, mean, I don't mean this last year. I mean, I remember him from the previous thing. So. You yeah. don't remember him being good? Uh, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I got him wrong. I'll take the over on whatever his career ERA is in your brain. Uh, he had a 2.84 ERA this year, but yeah, it was 4.92 last year, 3.84 the year before. Yeah, four, career ERA four. Yeah, I yeah, mean, right. four oh four. It's not a big loss, but uh, the key with Cleveland will be the same as it was past couple years, which is they're going to try to. I would say pitching and defense, although their pitching is shaky. But what they're going to try to do offensively is endlessly put the ball in play, put pressure on the defense. They run the bases, they steal bases, they go first to third. Uh, they they right. kind of they try to test all your outfield arms with the uh, Quan and other fast runners. Yeah, uh, they don't have a lot of slow guys, although they've added Josh Bell to Naylor as sort of the more traditional sluggers. But neither of them are really doing much. They have Jose Ramirez, who I will continue to say is the most underrated superstar in baseball and probably the best player in the American League Central over the last yeah, now on a long-term deal five with them to whatever too. years. Yeah, got him in an extension too. The key is, and this is true of every team, I guess to some extent, but the key is do not fall behind by even a run against Cleveland <laughs> yeah. like in the sixth or seventh inning because what happens is they just have an endless clown car of relievers who throw 98 with right. a slider. Um, and, right. and it ends with Class A, who's sort of fi- a final boss right. in the ninth yeah, inning. Right. Yeah, right. Uh, but, you know, Karinchek has been a lot more hittable. 
uh, since Baldelli made the umps check his uh, <laughs> flowing locks last right, year, yeah. and uh, they've you know they've just shown a few more I don't know dents in the armor here in the early going. They've also and this was what was maddening about Cleveland last year. I felt was while the Twins were leading the league in days lost to injury, uh, right. Cleveland lost the fewest days to injury of any team in baseball. They've already lost, you know, more key players to more days, it seems like, including McKenzie, Tristan McKenzie, their number two starter, than they did all of last season. And so the Twins have not been healthy by any means. We're going to talk a little bit more about the rotation injuries since those are been become official since last we spoke. But the fact that the Guardians are having to dip into their minor league depth already, are having to play shorthanded already, can't just trot out the same nine day after day after day as a lineup, which... I remember one of the criticisms were, well, Terry Francona uses a consistent lineup. Rock <laughs> well, yeah, Terry Francona didn't have 50 dudes on the injured list <laughs> at all points last year. So I don't well, know. It's a, also, I, I recall, even before they went to the Yankees series and lost two out of three, we had gone through, like, I think on Monday's Patriot show, went through, like, the last four or five series. Yeah, of they the have not played they well. Have, they have taken, they haven't won a series in since the beginning of April. Yeah. Or middle of April, at least. Now, we said... Even worse about the White Sox heading into this well, series in Chicago, that's and they too. were, you know, very close to sweeping all three games from the Twins in a right. very frustrating fashion. So we'll see. I mean, no series in uh, what is it? The first week of May, right? Is that important, right? Realistically, but when the Twins are looking good but not great, and the rest of the division looks horrendous to the point that Cleveland is really the only team. I think that has more than like 5% playoff odds on fan graphs right now. Right, yeah. Uh, they're the competition and they're all, but they're 14 and 17 and have some of the flaws that we just talked about. If you go in there and win two out of three, I'm not saying it really like doesn't you know, significantly close change the door race, on them, but give you a four and a half game lead. But right. It kind of sinks them a little bit further into this quicksand that they're in to start the season. Yeah. It makes climbing out of that a little bit trickier. It puts some doubt in their heads. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, I think this is a – I'm very curious to see how these two teams stack up because we saw it a lot last year. I mean, right. those games last year in Cleveland were just disastrous for the Twins, <laughs> right. just, oh, especially that series I mean, It was June. actually very reminiscent of these games versus the White Sox. You know, the, the, right. the Twins could, could score a few runs but not enough and then end up blowing the game late because the bullpen yep. gets you – know, sometimes it's a slight leak, sometimes it's a blow-up, but uh, – it, it, Cleveland also feels to me like the team that, you know, they're, they're a team that can be very good because their offense is doesn't have a terribly high ceiling, but doesn't have a terribly low floor. Well, that's the, right, how right? it's intended to right, be built. That's exactly yes. right, right? And so that works really well if you've got a dominant pitching staff. If your pitching staff is banged up a little bit and you're relying on your sixth and seventh and right. eighth guys, now you're losing two out of three well, instead of winning. They're two in the out same three. frustrating spot that that has put the Twins in since the second right. half of last year, which is part of the problem and part of the it magnified the short hooks for starting pitchers last year. It magnified Emilio Pagan's issues and the non Duran relievers issues last year, and it's we've seen some of that this year with the bullpen, which is. A lot of this stuff that seems like a weakness for the Twins in terms of, oh, well, their setup men have been, you know, Griffin Jacks has been a little shaky yeah, and right, all this right. stuff. Well, it's only a weakness because the lineup scores two runs. Right, yes. If the lineup scores four runs, right. 
which is still not great, but it's something, right. then the entire situation that the relievers find themselves in, not to mention it's probably going to be different usage for the relievers in terms of who's pitching when, changes completely. And when you when your lineup is not consistently scoring at least four or five runs in most games, which is like league average, and the Twins have not been, even you know last season it was really extreme, the kind of four games where they'd score two runs a game and then they'd right. have nine and then right. they'd go back. And we've seen that sort of more on a weekly basis this year than a game by game basis. And it just puts so much pressure on, especially the relievers, sixth, seventh, eighth inning, ninth inning, because there's no margin for error in these spots. Right. And we, I mean, once you get to extra innings, there's literally no, there's less than no margin for error because you're putting a runner on second base, right. but right. it's, it's, the the, yeah. the thing I love about baseball is yeah, that, that's it's a, a series at, of at Cleveland's the same thing only with the pitching right yeah, yeah. It's a, <laughs> yeah. baseball is a series of individual matchups which I love which makes it so much more valuable or more insightful to analyze it right. statistically than all other sports right. but it's a series of individual mass matchups that sort of cascade onto each other right. yeah, so like right. it's batter versus pitcher then the ball gets in play and it's ball versus fielder but then also the individual matchups are affected by the other individual matchups so if the lineup is right. empty it's just constantly a tie game or a one run game and then every pitch from a reliever in those individual matchups can potentially turn the game so I feel like I say this, and this series probably will be like a bunch of twelve to five games or something. I'm expecting it to be right. like two to one games. Uh, so we'll see. Yeah. I don't know. I, I I I like getting at least like a, a sparring match of sorts early in the season against the AL, the White Sox, and Cleveland. Like, not that it's yeah. meaningful. Not right. that these no, two, two out of three losing in in Chicago is has some huge meaning beyond right. just three games. And the same is true of this Cleveland series coming up. But it's like, I like to at least kind of test your gloves, sure. yeah, yeah, yeah. test your reach, test your whatever I mean, against it's these. Same teams. thing that we said about you know facing the Yankees, facing Houston. True, like yeah. it does give you a measurement. So uh, before we get into, we're going to talk Buxton. We're going to talk Kirloff. <laughs> yeah, we're going to talk the rotation. Maybe even some bullpen. Let's let's uh, get a couple of our sponsors out of the way. One of them. Uh, Grody Beef. We have a winner. Yeah, we were ready to announce a winner in our first ever we had the meat, raffle. meat raffle. It ended Wednesday night at was, midnight. Was the winner uh, Christine B? <laughs> it was not. Or C bonus? It was David Campbell. David Campbell. Who's David Campbell? You said that like it's somebody we should know. AP, AP writer? For Is that really who it was? <laughs> exactly who it was. Oh, he should be ineligible. <laughs> For, by virtue of sitting by me in the press box, is it really David <laughs> it Campbell? David Campbell won it. Yes. He had the, the beef delivered to him yesterday. Oh, I was going to say, we could hand <laughs> deliver it and just put it in the press box for him. That'd be uh, a funny thing. He had it delivered yesterday. I, I sent, uh, sent Joe Grody the uh, Is that for the real? Winner. Yeah, it really David did. Campbell won David it? Campbell won it. Jeez. Right. <laughs> There's going to be an investigation into this. At least Hayes didn't win. That would have been... Well, I didn't know David Campbell actually listened to the podcast. So yeah, I'm shocked by that actually because he I don't even know why he listens to me when I'm sitting next to him. Uh, it was delivered to him yesterday because they uh, they do deliver to the Twin yeah. Cities and they had a run yesterday already figured out and so they just dropped it off at David Campbell's place yesterday. So uh, the three hundred dollars worth of steaks and I got to tell you I I have they're making another run today and I know that because they're delivering to me. You paid I, for them. You didn't win yes, anything. Quote, unquote, I win no, anything. No, I didn't win it. I'm paying uh, for it, so right? yeah, Grody Beef, we've talked about them before, but it's a, a family farm in uh, the Northfield area right. uh, since the 1800s. It's sixth generation. 
Right. Uh, they, you know, Angus beef cattle that is uh, high quality, responsibly raised, uh, you know, diet of uh, grass, pasture, and then right. grass and corn, hormone-free, antibiotic-free meat. Uh, and then they just have all the cuts that you would want, right. ribeye, T-bone, right. strip, now like and all that stuff. Spring bundle for like 80 bucks. It was like five ground. Anyway, that's what we bought, the spring bundle. There's a number of steaks and a roast and some hamburger. It's fantastic. And if right. you go to Grody Beef, which is G-R-O-T-E, beef.com uh any order placed using the promo code gleeman will get 20 percent off your order yeah, so it's already a special like on those and bundles and other they stuff, will right? hand deliver it yes uh anywhere in the metro area yeah. and you can pick it up on the farm if you're closer to them yeah, too. If, you want, if you want to come see the farm yeah. you can go do that we should have made dave a, do that it's not a bad week go drive up there and do <laughs> it but not a bad week i think dude. grody beef is g-r-o-t-e-b-e-e-f Dot com. Go check I really it out. wish they would have not delivered it, and I could have just put it next to his laptop <laughs> in the press box and say, "I should have had them deliver it to you." Figure it out. That would have been awesome. What are you going to do with this now? <laughs> Three hundred pounds of beef or whatever. Uh, okay. Uh, and then our our next sponsor uh, was our oh Sunday. Yes. Which is uh, lawn care it is services. Time. It's time well, to get out hopefully, there. Hopefully, yeah. Yeah, we hopefully it's right. been a yeah, few teases. Yeah. Uh, I'm, see- I'm seeing some buds on the trees. I'm seeing that we're going to have flowers on the trees outside of the Ameriprise building soon. It's one of my favorite parts of the year. And, and that means your lawn needs some help. Because of the uh, Jekyll and Hyde nature of the weather <laughs> the past month, <laughs> right. it's possible your lawn needs even more help uh, than a normal year. Right. And so Sunday can help you with that. The Sunday, like the day, S U N D A Y. Get Sunday. Get Sunday.com right. slash Gleeman. Right. Um, the, the the premise is you can enter in your address and they will send you like all the details about your plot of land, which includes like the size, so how much stuff you'll need to put on it. Right. But then also like they can tailor what you're putting on it specifically to that type of grass and that type of soil. And then they'll tell you exactly when to put it on right. it. And that's the day that you just go hook up your hose to their easy. little package thing and spray your grass. Yes. Yeah. You can have uh, the best lawn in the neighborhood. By, Check out this deal. By going to getsunday.com slash Gleeman. And if you do that, our listeners will get 50% off their first box. So you can get started today for as little as 55 bucks when you go to getsunday.com slash Gleeman at checkout. That's 50% off your first box at getsunday, S-U-N-D-A-Y dot com slash Gleeman. Yeah. Those of you who put it off to the last minute are getting paid. God, can you... I. I'm going to make fun of Dave for listening to the show so much. <laughs> now, it's possible. We also put out the Gleam of the Geek Twitter account. Yeah, so maybe possi- he just saw it. And it was like, saw it Let that. me just win this meat. Why not? <laughs> I do love the idea of you just showing up with a box of meat to the press box. Just drop it on the press I love the idea of you walking through the security gate with it. I love that yeah. you just drop it off on his chair at the press Give box. It, hand it to him when we're in Baldelli's office for pregame. <laughs> Here you go. Here you go. That's <laughs> do whatever you want with Better it. Better yet, we should have not announced it. Yeah. <laughs> Say, yeah, we, we, we have a winner. We're not announcing because we want to surprise the winner. And then have Baldelli award it to us. <laughs> well, that might be. <laughs> Rocco, I got I like, something for you. <laughs> I like we, we act like uh, the Twins Clubhouse is my playground. And I'm just like telling guys. To, why not Rocco have, would love to give why not, Dave Campbell a box. Why not make Buxton and Correa do it at that point? <laughs> since we're just dreaming of me telling people to do things. Oh, how, about, how about Mitch or Dustin or Nina? <laughs> we could, yeah, we could maybe get Caleb Thielbar, whose mm. nickname, as assigned by Rambal Stew, yeah. is Meat Raffle. And grew and grew up near yes. yeah right um okay so let's see i want oh did you it was uh surreal to look at the box score yesterday i didn't even real that realize this in real time because i was watching it in barrero right. studio at yeah. k fan actually which was weird enough uh 
the winning pitcher, Emilio Pagan, as we just mentioned, the losing pitcher, Alex, okay, Alex Colomay. <laughs> and I thought, where was Ron Davis watching somewhere at least? Like these are two of the uh, worst performing Somebody, owners of the worst seasons in relief history for the Twins. Somebody on Twitter sent us a screen print of the uh, – the MLB app where it shows Colome versus Pagan. Yeah, it was me. I think. <laughs> uh, so yeah, that was uh, that was interesting. Oh my god! Your old friend uh, Alex Colme, who signed a minor league deal with them like ten days ago, he appeared in two out of the three games. Yeah. Like and did solid work for the Twins oh, again. Yeah. Better work than he did for the Twins. Yeah, he finally helped. Finally helped the Twins. <laughs> he is the sleeper agent. <laughs> yeah. Except you know they could you could make somebody a sleeper agent. You don't have to. Tank one of your own season. I guess that makes it more believable. Sure, yeah, that's right, okay. that's right. I get it. It's a long con. Yeah, boy, is it. Yeah. yeah. Well, anyway, uh, any day we can mention Ron Davis on the podcast is a, always a winning day. Um, the five intentional walks issued by Baldelli were the most in Twins history. They're the not the most in American League history. There were two times. I looked this up last okay. night. Okay. Twice in American League history, a team has issued seven intentional walks in a game. And I say American League history because prior to a couple years ago, when there was no DH in the National League, intentionally walking the eight hitter to get to a pitcher in the ninth spot was fairly common or much more common in that league. So that's why I focused on the American League. Can you imagine watching a game that there was uh, two more intentional walks by a team than we saw yesterday? Like. I must have just been like an acid trip. Like, what are they, they were just putting guys on base over and over. Do you remember if any of them were recent? Uh, no. It, one was 1963 okay. Angels, and the other was like 1930 something Yankees. Okay. Right. Which, okay. Um, but yeah, for a guy who was accused, Baldelli, I mean, of, uh, you know, just kind of sitting on his hands a lot or managing <laughs> yeah, by the spreadsheet, yeah. five intentional walks in the last, what? Four innings. Yeah, I guess. Is, uh, that's, that's not exactly the way to ingratiate yourself to your fan base, those by intentionally walking. But it worked. It, it did Every work. single it time. Work. It right. worked all. Right. After all five intentional walks, the next batter they got out, mm-hmm. uh, which is uh, including at least two to end innings, right? right? Yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, that's uh, that's a hell of a way to be. Um, the, the overall takeaway, though, I feel like from the series was that this team is not nearly good enough to be as sloppy defensively and running the bases as they are, which is what we often talked about last year. I think the defense is not nearly as bad as it was last year at times, but the base running is every bit as mistake-prone, even though uh, poor Hilberto Celestino is is on the IL. IL right now. I was going to say St. Paul, but he's actually been in the Twins clubhouse quite a bit because he's just on the 60-day IL or whatever. But they're they're just not nearly, uh, especially when they're not hitting, there's just not enough margin for error for them to be running into outs, whether it's like the Jeffers play or the Willie Castro situation. Like their stolen base percentage, they've stolen six bases. I think they've been thrown out like right. eight times on the bases. Right. And that's with Buxton back to back games stealing right. the base, yeah. which he hadn't done that in back to back games, I'm going to guess, in like three years. Right. Um, so, yeah, that's a good sign for Buxton, which I guess <laughs> we can just talk about Buxton here. I don't have like some. Big piece of news with Byron Buxton. I just feel like when he's on one of these stretches, like he is right now, we we should talk about him because right. it's not something you see all the time uh, in baseball. I mean, he's basically been on that stretch, though, since day one, yes. except for the week after he landed on his face. Here's some crazy numbers that I crunched uh, last night before going to bed. Uh, Byron Buxton, in the first 11 games of the season, 
hit 302 with an 845 OPS, <laughs> including a couple of really clutch. I'm surprised it's that low. Honestly, <laughs> it's pretty good. <laughs> right. um, then he collided with uh, Lennon Sosa at second base against the White Sox at Target Field, and it looked as though he died. Uh, and <laughs> I, I just thought, I thought he might have broken his neck. Honestly, I thought he broke right. about ten different things. Right. I remember after the game, Baldelli, we asked Baldelli, "How is he doing?" And he goes, "I don't know. There was so much, so many different body parts to check on right. <laughs> that it's going to take a while until we know." In the four games after that collision because he played the next day in new york which is right. amazing i would have lost so much money betting against that happening he went 0 for 15 with 11 strikeouts in the next four games uh and it was like oh well here he goes again he's hurt he's uh, struggling again then since then he's played 13 yesterday was the 13th game he's played since then He's hitting 306 with a 1210 OPS. <laughs> there you go. Now, OPS is just on base percentage plus slugging percentage. Right. So you can do the math in your head there how you would get to 1210 in a way that is not incredibly impressive, right. and you can't do it. Right. Uh, you're either a 400 uh, on base and an 800 slugging, <laughs> right. or a 500, 500 on, on base. base and, I mean, there's no way to do slugging. it right. that you don't look like Barry Bonds. And so for the season including an 0 for 15, 11 strikeout stretch. Right. And by the way, the season is 32 games long, so it's not like it's been right. yes. 100 games. Uh, he's got a 350 on base percentage, including all of a sudden he's drawn walks yeah, he's in bunches. Well, here's why. Which he's never done before in his entire life. They're pitching around him. Well, yeah, although that's been the case for a while. I think if you look at – he had made some like subtle improvements compared to the first three or four years of his career when the book on Buxton was – he swings at everything, and you can get him to chase similar to like Torrey Hunter early in his career or even Michael Kadire, get ahead of him and then just throw him slop right. down and away, and he will just swing over right. it. He that, like, that, that ain't happening anymore. Right. He right. gradually kind of weaned himself off of that, which is common right. You know, as you get – You still see it occasionally. 20, I mean, right. you see it for everybody I mean, he's a swing right. and miss yes. guy, right. but the difference I think is he's taken that to one more step. I think he's done a really good job laying off high fastballs and he's done a good job early in counts laying off kind of iffy breaking balls where I think in his head he thinks, I could hit this, but there's going to be better opportunities later right. in this yeah. at bat. Yeah, he's gotten pickier. And then You're you right. add that. So if you look at like they call it chase percentage, which is just outside, swinging at pitches not in the strike zone. And the graph for him early in his career, you know, 40% or something like right. that, it was ugly. Then he got to a point where he still wasn't walking a lot, but he had he had toned that down. Now he's toned that down a lot. And then you add in what you said, which I think is certainly true, which is, you know, at this point, the league knows that this is not the Byron Buxton from six years ago. Yeah, you know, I, I was dead set against him being a leadoff hitter because he's just got so much power. I don't want to, I want to wait till people are on base. It feels to me like they need to protect him in the lineup a little bit at this point, especially if, if when you've got both Polanco and Correa batting in front of him and you don't have anybody you – know, when you've got Larnick batting behind him, right. especially the way Larnick's been recently, uh, it feels like they're, they they get to anywhere near 3-1, 3-2. Basically, they get to the point where, okay, I've got to give in to this guy. Nah. We'll just we'll – just, we'll take my chances on something off the outside of the plate and see what happens. As John yeah, right. dies As for I the fifth from, time this yeah. episode, uh, go ahead and get that. Go to the hospital. Feel free to get that. <laughs> it's check. a broken nose. It's a deviated septum from college. What I got? If I re-break your nose, will it help? <laughs> we can give it a pull. Okay, hold on a second. Ooh, that was a yeah. Oh, he's crying now. There's a lot of blood there. But anyway, um, yeah. Well, he's been leading off or hitting like fourth. They yeah. kind of bounced him back right. and forth. First of all, uh, lineup protection is not a thing. I get what you're saying, but it's generally not a thing. 
taking walks is fine if they want to walk him a billion times. It's fine, but when one of the fastest base runners in the league on base, when that's you get great a, too. When you got a dude with a 1,200 OPS, you don't want to. I mean, you do want to walk him, but you'd like to have somebody to make them pay for walking him. Well, sure. Right. Except also he has uh, nine homers, including like five in huge spots. So he's getting yeah. getting enough pitches to hit. Uh, he's slugging 570. Uh, overall, and he has the third highest win probability added in the entire league among hitters, which means right. those hits and homers and walks are Absolutely almost all meaningful. coming in huge spots. That, uh, part of that is because, like we said, the rest of the offense yes. isn't hitting, and the pitching staff has there's been a, really good. There's so a it's lot almost of, always a close right. game. Right? There's a lot of high right. leverage opportunities you to, are correct. to get here. Right. Um, but that can cut both ways. So he's been just on absolute fire beyond that. He's played now 29 of the first 32 games, including 28 starts in the first 32 games. So that's over 90% of the games. It's 90, what is that? 91, 92% of the games. He played 57% last year, 43% over the last five years combined. He's basically playing roughly twice as often as he has at any point in the yeah. last five years. And yet, every game, well, we. What about if they played him in center? Yes. Uh, and I here's what I'll say about that. I do think he's going to play some center field at some point this I season. I do too. But I don't think it's going to be real soon. And I just I don't quite understand the disconnect that people have. The there's Half of the equation everyone seems to grasp, which is by playing him at DH exclusively so far, you're playing Michael Taylor as the everyday center fielder with some Nick Gordon mixed in, but you're right. basically a little more lately, but yeah, right, which has been productive too. Yes. Uh, the the defensive downgrade is minimal, if anything, because Michael Taylor is really good in center field. But the offensive upgrade is not anything to do with Buxton. It's the fact that you're essentially swapping out whoever you'd have in the DH spot, which you're going to presume is a bigger bat right. because that's what DHs typically are. You know, it might be someone like Kirilov, for instance. Right. And you're swapping that for Taylor and Gordon, and you're going to lose offense there. That's half of the equation that everyone seems to understand, and that's absolutely part of the decision-making process there. So, yes, we're, we're keeping Buxton healthy, but by doing so, we're basically turning the DH spot into Michael Taylor and Gordon from offensively. But what I don't get is no one seems to recognize that it's not an apples for apples thing with Buxton. You can't just say, "Well, yeah, why don't they move him to center field?" And he can still play ninety percent of the right. games. He can right. still yeah. play ninety percent of the games and slug five seventy, and, and then we can also fill the DH spot. Well, that's not what's going to happen. Right. Even if he stays healthy in center field, which he's yet to do at any point in the last five years, he's going to take one or two days off per week. It's going to be three games on, one game off. You're right. still going to have DH work mixed in there, uh, and. As we've seen, it just greatly increases his odds uh, of getting hurt, whether right. it's short-term, long-term, whatever it is. And so whatever uh, math you're doing in your head, which is right, which is saying you know, they're, they're giving up the DH spot to basically bring in offense from center field. That's, the, that's the, f the flip side of it. You also have to say, well, what would the impact on Buxton's offense be right, or yeah, availability right, yeah, right. be or production be and value? And whatever that is, he's at the 100th percentile right now. He's playing almost literally every day, and he's been one of the best hitters in all of baseball. He's still making a big impact as a base runner. He's just not adding anything defensively, except they're not really missing that defensively because Taylor's really good. You're missing offense 
with the center field DH swap involving Taylor, except you're making up for most of that and maybe even all of that by having Buxton play yeah. 92% well, of the games. Especially when Taylor's been as good as he's been. Yeah, although he, he, hasn't, he, hasn't, been he, hasn't, been, he hasn't been exceptional, but he's been solid. Which is why I think right. the Gordon uh, reemerge yes. emerging as a series. kind of yeah. not quite a platoon partner for Taylor, but against righties or right. tough righties. Yeah. Or you can make in-game moves like they have and pinch hit Gordon against Correct. righty relievers late in games. Adds another dimension to the center field thing. So that it's not just trotting out Michael Taylor 155 times. Yes, including if you do that, right-handers, right? Yeah. As we've seen, it's not going to be real pretty offensively. The question for me becomes, is this the whole season? Is there sort of a point physically or weather-wise or schedule-wise where they're kind of looking – roster-wise. Or roster-wise, yeah. Where they're looking and saying, well, maybe Buxton can play center field against lefties. Or, you know, so you can stack Taylor in a corner spot against lefties or whatever. Or maybe – I was thinking versus righties. Versus lefties, you can have Taylor – you're going to put him in the lineup one way or the other. He might as well be playing center field and, and you can still have Buxton at DH. Well, you're, you know, you're right, though. You could put Taylor right. in one of the corner spots. Right. Yeah, that's a fair uh, point, too. So I, I'm curious to reach that point. But in the meantime, I just it's such a strange thing to obsess on. Uh, and I get it. He's the most obsessed on player in the last right. 10 years right, for the sure. Twins. And I get it that it's a sort of, uh, I don't know, point of disagreement for everyone, just sure. in general, injuries. But I don't know how you could ever say, having watched Byron Buxton over these last uh, 30-something games, that he would that provide this is a m- bad move, right? And that he would, he was. There's a scenario where he would have provided more value to a team, right? Uh, just by playing defense. Uh, so yeah, I mean, I think this has been. I'm not going to say it's the best we've ever seen Byron Buxton be because Byron Buxton is such a spectacular right. unicorn of a player. He's had months where he wins Player of the Month, and uh, two Aprils ago had what I believe is the best month in the history of the Minnesota Twins. Right. Um, so we've seen this before. We just haven't seen this before for six weeks playing 90% of the games. You know, I mean, you mentioned that that player of the month was, you know, in April. Right. Right. And it'll be interesting to see how his body holds up at the DH mm-hmm. versus uh, playing in center field. When you read that, when I read that story by uh, Dan Hayes this week, right, about. Uh, who's this? Dan Hayes. Dan Hayes. Who's he right for? <laughs> Who's he right for? Uh, I was. Uh, some rag. Uh, so uh-huh. <laughs> the twins daily. I, I thought about uh, <laughs> or not that bad. <laughs> a little, little touch below that. Okay. Uh, so well, I thought back to the conversations we had with him in spring training, right? Which was with Buxton it, or Dan? With, with both, okay. but actually much in, different. In particular, I think Buxton was there because uh, Buxton was talking about how much you know he wants to play center field. Like that. Right. That has been sort of my my takeaway from that reading that. My thought process was this feels like a guy who likes not being in severe pain every day. Yeah, that's he likes not having to show up two hours early <laughs> well, to go work on his legs just well, so he can play at eighty five percent right at night. I, I yeah. mean I think when you deal with specifically last year where you know he spent the whole year in pain trying to work through stuff and playing at a at a level that he wasn't particularly satisfied with a lot of the time that came that was clear right. in his in the narrative that he put out there that at some point you're kind of like this it's 
it's funny how it's hard to take away something from somebody like that. When you take away some, they don't want to give up playing center field. Sure. He was clear in spring training he didn't want to give up. To well, him. that's been his identity. And then for when so he long. lets go of it for a little while, and he's like, "Oh, this comes with me being a really good hitter." <laughs> yes, and not feeling <laughs> and, and like not, crap and after not, every game, and not feeling and not dealing with day to day, hour to hour, minute to minute pain all the freaking right. time in my legs. Well, this isn't so bad. And also, I think it's, it's one thing to say to a guy in uh, mid-March, we're going to not play at center field initially. And your reaction to that, if you're the center fielder, is like, oh, that's that sucks. I can't add value defensively. His point was, if I go over four in a game, at least I can make a catch out in center field that can help the team. That's out. The, but I think he's now come to realize, oh, it's not just to kind of protect my legs and all that. I can play like almost every day this way, which he, <laughs> and and I feel great. Well, right, and I'm hitting well. And I mean, so I, it, I think it, it feels like the, like he's under kind of a personal philosophy thing on this thing that gets to the point where it's like, I, which is not to say I don't think he'll ever play center field again for the Twins or even this year. I think he will. I think he will. But I think it's, I think. He's kind of getting to the point where I don't have to play center field all the time to be valuable. You know what I mean? Like, it, like I say, it's hard to get, it's hard for people to give up something that they've been so attached to. Right. But and sometimes they live without it for a while, and then they're like, "But when you can show them proof of concept, right, in a month, and say you've played almost literally every day, he's essentially gotten three days off, which is a normal number of days off, right, for any position right. player, other than some kind of Iron Man who's trying to play every day. Right. You know, you take one out of every dozen games off or something like that. Right. And even then, at least one of them, he came off the bench and pinch hit, which at times last year, he was unavailable to even do that. Uh, I think it's a good sign within that, like you're saying, it's a good sign that he's attempted two steals uh, the last few games. Right. Uh, yeah, that's another good point. Yeah. I've don't really want to see that. I don't think it's worth <laughs> the juice is not worth the squeeze, <laughs> right? Uh, in his particular case, but the risk it is, reward on that is not what you. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's, right. it, to me, it's irrelevant. He, he has the highest success rate on stolen bases in the history of Major League Baseball. He's like essentially ninety percent. Like he's literally the best, most efficient base dealer ever for guys who have you know stolen at least I don't know seventy five bases or something like that in history. And so it's not about that. Like when he even at you know. 90% or 80%, when he decides to take off, he's going to be safe an overwhelming majority of the time. So it's not a risk in that regard, like from a win probability standpoint or a run expectancy standpoint. He's so rarely thrown out that it is worth it. I just think to myself, how many times is he going to slide into second base before he gets up slowly after one sure. of them, in which case was it worth it? But we'll see. It's just it's a good sign in general. It's an indicator of yeah, how feeling, he's feeling better right. and also their willingness to let him have a green light on the basis too. Right. And also when effective. he's doing that, it isn't in a you know four zero game when they're you know they're up by four runs well, and true, he's doing it when it's a late inning. We've but got the, to, What I'm saying right. is like the the leverage of that game. Is right, the yeah. risk reward, but only on a macro or on a micro level? I'm thinking like on a big picture level. I'm just what it, the it, risk it, reward? It, it, I agree. It, it, with it, what it you're does give you a little bit more reward when he's actually choosing to yes. do it than your average stolen base. Except if you said to me, uh, you know, if he never stole a base again, he'd be five percent less likely <laughs> to be injured. I'd go, yeah, that's great. <laughs> yeah, no that's matter fair. what the leverage of it was. Uh, the other th we mentioned Kirilov, so. Actually, before we get to Kirilov, let's talk about our next yep. sponsor, which is Stamps.com. Uh, I've told this story before, but 
I had never used stamps.com before until like four years ago, something like that, when I wrote a book about the Twins Yes, called uh, The Big 50, Men and Moments That Made the Minnesota Twins. And uh, I had the brilliant idea of uh, what if I took all these books that they gave me, they give you a bunch of co- – when you write a book, they give you a whole bunch of copies of the book <laughs> to give family members or do right, whatever you want. Right. And I said, what if I – autograph these and people can send me i think it was 20 bucks or something the book was like 18 bucks so there was no profit to be made really uh and i'll autograph it and send it to you right and uh i thought hey maybe 50 people will want that right <laughs> i even i bought a bunch of replica harman killebrew cards off ebay a 50 pack <laughs> and i included one in each sure thing. And then uh, a day in, uh, there was 500 orders, and I thought, oh, no. And my girlfriend- That's a lot more Harmon Killebrew cards. Yeah, I had to buy a lot more Harmon Killebrew cards. But and it also means a lot more shipping. Yeah, we turned, my girlfriend was like, wait, so what's the process going to be like, and where are you doing this? And I said, you see that table over there in our kitchen? That's that's now the post office or the assembly line. And so but it we spent, became the post office. Yes, thankfully, via stamps.com, which I learned about a few years ago, uh, you can- Basically, track and manage that sort of thing online to the right. point that you can have individual tracking numbers on every book or item you send out. So that if someone says, hey, I haven't gotten mine yet, you can say, oh, it's on the way, going to be there tomorrow. Or you actually got it delivered and maybe something went wrong. It's it's super easy to do the exact postage so you're not overpaying just for ease of you know slapping a bunch of stamps on there. And then the biggest time saver for me was when you're doing hundreds of things and it's different every day. You make one big trip to the post right, office or you right. don't even have to go to the post office because it's all got the proper labeling right. and shipping and packaging. <laughs> right. You just drop it in whatever in your building or across the street, wherever it is. Exactly that right. saved me a thousand trips to the post office. So I am a uh, believer in stamps.com. I am. Uh, I was a power user for a few months <laughs> right. of stamps.com. And and you can set your business up for success when you get started with stamps.com today. You just sign up with the promo code GEEK. Not Gleeman. Geek. Geek. Yeah. Uh, for a special offer, it includes a four-week trial, plus free postage, and a free digital scale. No long-term commitment or contracts. Just go to stamps.com, click the microphone at the top of the page, and enter the code geek. Uh, our next sponsor is Raycon, and I just had somebody reach out to me and say, hey, I need some new earbuds. What's the sponsor you guys have had for a long time? <laughs> yes. And I told them, buyraycon.com right. slash Gleeman. Raycon, we both use it. Right. Uh, John to, and Chrissy as, use as, it to go right. running yep. because one of the selling points of Raycon is the actual feel in your ear, like the physical uh, mold of the earbud yep. is much more comfortable and than Chrissy's some of the- very picky about that, and she loves them. Especially yeah. if you're going to wear it either on a long run or yep. you're going to do a Zoom meeting for three hours with it. Uh, which is what we use it for in my household, and it's a lower price point than some of the bigger names. But every bit, bit as well engineered or better. Yes, right. And long lasting battery. It's super easy to sync it with Bluetooth, even for dummies like me who are not good at that sort of thing. Fifty thousand five star reviews. They've yes. got. Yeah. So if you want to pick up a pair of earbuds and give it a try, wireless earbuds from Raycon, you go to buy Raycon. That's B U Y R A Y C O N buyraycon.com slash Gleeman. That'll get you 15% off your Raycon order. That's buyraycon.com slash Gleeman to score 15% at buyraycon.com slash Gleeman. Okay, we mentioned Kirilov, who's in some ways related to the Buxton at DH thing, but this is somewhat, this situation I think has somewhat changed in the last, I don't know, 10 days or so. Yeah. A, they officially, the window for his rehab assignment, 
officially closed after 20 days, which means they had to do the procedural move of activating him from the injured list and optioning Kirilov to AAA, which means he's no longer a rehabbing uh, major leaguer. He's just a AAA player, just like everyone else. Him and Ed Julian and Matt Walner and on and on are just straight-up AAA players. The other thing that's changed, he continues to be productive at AAA, although he continues to play not quite every other day, maybe two out of every three games right, as they right, yeah. kind of uh, limit well, f- his workload. Four times every six games. It's a six-week league, like six-week yeah. uh, games in the, in the AAA. So. So, but the, the thing that has really changed and what we talked about on the last free show, I think, on this topic was everyone wants to see Kirilov healthy and in the majors. Most of all, the Minnesota Twins want to see that. Right. Uh, they've been hyping him up and believing in him and waiting on him for five years now, basically as a part of their middle of the lineup. They called him up to make his debut in a playoff game, uh, which is basically unheard of because they believed in him so much uh, a couple, two, three years ago. But the fact that he's had back-to-back seasons ruined by wrist uh, surgery and is still a question mark from a physical standpoint and is still sort of trying to get back into form, whatever that means, after significant wrist surgeries is part of the reason why he's not playing every day at AAA, but it's also part of the reason he's just at AAA. Right. The other reason is he plays four positions, potentially, or four spots in the lineup. One of them is DH, which is filled by Byron Buxton, who's been the Twins' best player. The other three are first base, left field, right field. All three of those are manned right now for the Twins by left-handed hitters, right. which he's won. Joey Gallo who's slumped recently but been one of the Twins' better players this year, has been playing primarily first base, uh, kind of platooning with Donovan right. Solano. right And playing the, really well defensively. Right, playing first good base, defensively. Right. Uh, Trevor Larnick, a left-handed hitter who's a year older than Kirloff but has was also a former first-round pick and a highly touted prospect, right. has been playing primarily in left field. And then Max Kepler, who's been their right fielder for seven years now, is still their right fielder. Ten days ago, we said, well, Where's Kirloff going to play, and who are you pushing out of the lineup at those three spots? Because Buxton's not going anywhere right now. And at the time, Gallo was slugging 800 at first base, and Trevor Larnack had a 110 OPS plus in left field, and Max Kepler was on a nice little hot streak coming off the IL, and he had, I don't know, 120 OPS plus or something like that, along with the good defense. And so you said, we could call Kirloff up, but you might only be playing him a couple times a week, and he might... You're going to have to sit someone else, and it, it just became complicated, and you added in the injury factor and the availability factor, and I think it was pretty straightforward to send him to AAA. But what has changed since then is Kepler's cooled off a little bit, which is not unexpected to me and probably you also, right. uh, but the bigger change has been Larnack has really struggled. Well, he just had a terrible series. He went 0 for 9 with eight strikeouts uh, against Chicago, and the interesting thing about that is I've talked in the past, I wrote about it two weeks ago, about how he really struggles against off-speed stuff and always has. And the league knows that. And he, as of two weeks ago, had seen the fewest percentage of fastballs of any hitter in the world, um, 40% or 39% or something. But what's interesting about going 0 for 9 with 8 strikeouts against the White Sox, they threw him a lot of fastballs. They threw him, like I think, 61% fastballs. Uh, 33 out of the 50, I want to say 33 out of the 54 pitches he saw, and he still went 0 for 9 with 8 strikeouts, still swung through a lot of them, yeah. still had some some I, really rough at-bats. I saw the same thing, and I was I was torn between, is he just 
stuck looking for off-speed pitches, but he was often in counts where you were pretty sure it wasn't going to be an off-speed right. pitch. You're facing a pitcher who's having trouble throwing an off-speed pitch, and they're getting a lot of times on fastball up. Right. You know, he was tasting something a little bit high. I mean, he, here's the thing: like for three weeks, he's been three, four weeks, he's been treading water. He's he went from he had about a 700 OPS about about mid-April. He's got about a 700 OPS right now, right? That's a, and that's it's it's gone up a little bit. Like I showed a little bit of life in, versus the Yankees, then came back down a little bit. When you're at that point, you know if something happens that that suddenly you have trouble catching up with a fastball, your back's a little sore, something like that happens. There's just not a lot of room for error. Don't say and, back sore because then people think you mean his back is sore. No, I'm not. I'm just, I'm just saying that. Just it, clarifying. It, 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 I'm not, I he's am had not, a lot of injuries. Listen, so. I am not. I am not saying that. Uh, I'm not saying I know that he's got an injury or anything like that. What I'm saying is that when something right. happens that you suddenly have trouble catching up with a fastball, whatever it is, you know, you just don't have a lot of room for error. And right now, you know, he he's he's just not he he doesn't have a lot of room for error, and he's erroring. Yeah, <laughs> you know? I mean, they, it's interesting because he continues to bat fourth a lot. Yeah, that's uh, weird, to which me. is odd. I mean, against righties, which makes some sense, but oh, they. Right haven't moved Gallo really up in the lineup, although Gallo hasn't been very no, has good for the last either. week or so either. Yeah. I think it really your point about Larnick is accurate, except I will say if you just look at his game logs, he had a really good first four games, yes, including right. a three-run homer right. in Miami. Right. Uh, since then, he's hit like 170, yeah. and he's hit 170 with very little power. He only has three homers all year, and he's like 150-something games into his major league career, yeah. and I think he has 15 homers. It just doesn't match the type of player he is, the size he is, right. the swing he has, the strikeout rate, which yep. is really the problem, which is he swings through a lot of pitches. Now, off-speed especially, but as we've seen now, he swings through a lot of fastballs too. He is a big you know, slugger, 6'5 slugger swing. It's producing the strikeouts you would expect from that type of approach, right. but it is not producing the power you would expect from that type of approach. And, you know... His value really this season has been based on drawn walks, right, which right. for a number middle of the lineup hitter who's not the fastest afoot mm-hmm. has pretty minimal value. Now that's it's great to draw walks versus not drawing sure. walks, but that's what's propping up his production to the extent that it's at least been sort of averageish. Right. That he's not really hitting and not hitting for any power whatsoever. And as we've seen, like he's very strikeout prone, and uh, the quality of at bats, I think. I don't know. It's. I don't think he takes bad at bats. I think he doesn't fully kind of maximize hitters counts because he either can't square the ball up or he gets in a hitters count and he still swings through a pitch that should still be taken. Yeah, I felt the same way. I mean, I, I, I didn't feel like, it's rare that I take a look at him and goes, "That was just a bad at bat," right? Where he just chased three pitches that were right. not. We're not particular. It wasn't a competitive. At he can that. get he in good fooled, spots. Right? Yeah, he just doesn't seem able he's to take he, advantage yeah, of it. Yeah, full it's, advantage. It's, I, of feel, it. I feel exactly the same uh, way. He's he gets to a two-two-three-two count, something like right. that, and then it just doesn't go the way you were hoping. Right. right. Or he'll swing through pitches, which okay, guys do that. Gallo does that. Sano did that. Sure. Buxton does that a lot. Right. But he also will get frozen on pitches in yeah. the zone because I think he's in his mind choosing fastball or breaking yeah, ball I think a lot of too. times. Yeah. Uh, he's hitting two twenty-one. A lot of walks, but a 356 slugging percentage, you just can't. Now, 
look, it's a small sample, except this is the third year in a row where this has sort of been stylistically what we've seen. There's been injuries involved in the previous well, two that's years. That's a good point, too. But, I mean, he's he's a guy who's going to draw some walks. When he gets into a pitch, he's capable of crushing a 450-foot homer. I mean, we've seen some monster homers right. uh, to center field and to left center from Trevor Larnick where you go, oh, yeah, that's he's a slugger, except the overall slugging is just not there. And even if you look back, Triple A and Double A, he's not a guy who has produced big time power numbers, and so I just wonder at some point, you know, does the look and feel of Larnick stylistically have to kind of go to the wayside, and you have yeah. to look at him realistically and say he swings and misses a lot, but the power isn't there, and he puts the ball on the ground a lot for a guy who should be a power hitter. But so the reason why all this is uh, relevant, I love it. I've, 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 just one more point on that. I, I mean, I still kind of believe that he is that player. I also think back to the fact that you know he admitted in spring training that he's not always forthright about you know how he's feeling, right? That he you know tried to play through various maladies in the past. In the first week or so of spring training, he voluntarily said, "Hey, you know what? I've got a twinge in my oblique again. I know I've got to be careful with that because it cost me the whole season last year." Uh, and I think that's one of the reasons why he came into April tearing it up a little bit. I just wonder if the the grind of the season is wearing him down a little bit too. So but, but it's early in the season, so the what's interesting about this and why I mean he's directly linked to Kirloff because if <laughs> Kirloff had been healthy at the end of spring training or if they had deemed him ready to go at the end right. of spring training, which they didn't, he didn't even play in the minors for a couple weeks to begin the season. I don't think Larnick would have been on the opening day roster. And so it was the removal of Kirloff from the opening day roster as a first baseman DH left fielder, yep. left-handed bat, that opened up that spot for Larnick, who you know is a very similar type of player. Uh, so in that sense, if Kirloff is now healthy and productive at AAA and ready to join the lineup... Yeah, which it, we're not totally sure of. Right. right. Yeah. But it would make sense then that the guy you remove from the roster to make room for that is the guy who got the roster spot because of Kirloff's status in the first place and it's not as if Larnack has really I don't know fought that as well as he should have two weeks into the season you would have been crazy to suggest that that is the case because why would that why would you take out one of your better hitters who seems to be a breakthrough 20 you know six-year-old or whatever he is right uh now it feels like well it's it's tough though because there's no like there's not a real I would want them both in the lineup. <laughs> right, the yes, goal right. would be you have these two former first round picks. Right. You want both of them to be part of your longish term lineup and so they both need to be playing every day. But because they have Gallo and because they because they signed Gallo and because they chose not to trade Kepler, you're in a spot where you right now at least can't realistically have them both in the lineup right. every day. And so I, I just wonder you know, how long do they view Larnick as like an impediment or a speed bump for Kirloff? How long do they view Larnick as any part of the decision making with Kirloff as yeah. opposed to at some point, if Larnick does not turn it around very quickly here, then you're just saying, is Kirloff ready or not? Right. If yes, he's ready, right. then Larnick can be sent. They can just right. swap them, and Larnick can take some time at Tripway and try to get on track. And then by the time that happens, hopefully a month yeah. later, then maybe the outfield situation has changed or somebody's hurt or somebody's struggling and it makes it obvious. Or Kirloff might be re-injured, yeah. in which case this is all a moot point and you just bring Larnick back. But It's, I worth, do- it's worth watching because I, I feel like 
the same um, that's all true and I agree with you like if Larna continues to especially if he's as brutal as we've seen the last three four or five days sure right? yeah. uh, you know you you probably need to make a change there but I think the same thing applies that we talked about two weeks ago when we first started talking about Kirilov coming back which is like is Larnick really going to learn anything in AAA? Like, it's not one thing to say, oh, he's going to get back on track, but is he? No, but you got to produce at some point, right? right? Yeah, I mean, right. he's 26. Yeah. This is his third Maybe season. Maybe get his confidence back up a little bit. And, I don't know. And you right. can, yeah, I don't think he's going to like. The, the problem is he's, he's not going to see a, as many good breaking balls Absolutely. in AAA as he is here. But he's going right. to play every day. And I don't think at some point, if he continues to struggle, they can't afford to play him every day. I mean, well, th- I mean do you he, know that he, they he, have he, the worst OPS from left fielders of any team in baseball right yeah, now? I, be- I believe it. Now, some I of mean, that's Gordon, too. But well, the two, I know the two guys who are leading the team in games played are Miranda and Larnick, and the two guys right. I'm most worried about right now right. in terms of their product, offensive production. So, yeah, I think that has now kind of bled in more to the Kirloff situation than it did 10 days ago. Yeah. And, again, these are all small samples, and it's all dependent on Kirloff's health. If they just don't think Kirloff is ready – then it's a moot point. Right. But yes. if they do think Kirilov is ready and he continues to be productive at AAA, I do think swapping him for Larnick has no is no longer sort of a questionable thing. Here's, I think that would be the most straightforward thing they could do. Here's the thing. <laughs> if they believe Larnick is re- or Kirilov is re- ready, I think we'll see that because he'll be playing five games a week or six games a week, not four games a week. Right? If he's not if he's gonna stay at four games a week, that suggests He's not ready because yeah, he, when he comes up here, he ain't playing four games a week. He probably will, though, because they're going to face lefties. He won't start against lefties. Yeah, I mean, maybe. Larnick's only playing four to five times a week, too. Right? I yeah, mean, they, I mean, they just haven't faced many lefties. Like I said, Larnick leads the game, leads the team in games played. So, you know, yeah. he, he, that's uh, now I don't know if that's in games started, right. but I know he leads, leads the team in games played. So that's a lot of playing. But also, they still have Gordon as a left-handed yeah, bat too, yeah. to play left field uh, if you need that. So yeah, I don't know. I think. I want to see Kirloff. I want to see them both. I think it would, it <laughs> yeah, would be beneficial yeah. for them long term to see them both. But sending down Larnick or swapping them, basically, you know, in terms of where they are in the organization, doesn't preclude Larnick from coming back in three weeks right. or a month if he puts together a good stretch at Triple A. I just at some point with Larnick, and I'm a believer in Larnick. I think he's a smart guy. I think he has a, a tool set that can work. I think he's a much better defensive player than he gets credit for. I think he is just potentially a prototypical like number five you know hitting left fielder right but at some point you know you can talk about injuries you can talk about opportunities and all that right he's like 160 games and three seasons into his major league career and he's really yet to have a sustained you know more than a month right or in some cases a week where he's just an asset consistently for the lineup and at some point i mean this is the thing when you draft college players which he was he was a superstar at oregon state right the timeline in terms of patience, we saw it with Brent Rooker, unfortunately, who is now having uh, age 29 or whatever breakout for Oakland. But when you draft a guy and he's already like 23, 24 years old in some cases, like with, with Rooker, you can't just give them like right. six no, years. Yeah, right. uh, and I think that's kind of where Larnick is at. Like yeah. if he were 24, you might be like, well, okay, send him to triple. I just – he's running out of uh, – <laughs> running like on a road space here. Yeah, like he's yeah, running right, on yeah. a, so we'll see. Uh, before we talk a little bit about the rotation and some other notes to finish up here, let's talk about our last couple of sponsors. Uh, Native, which, which now they, we we always do with with deodorant. They can keep you smelling good. They can also keep you from getting burned all summer. <laughs> That's right. We just got some uh, Native yeah, sunscreen. I tried it this week when we finally saw the sun. Mm-hmm. At 
it's a quick absorbing, uh, good SPF 30 protection. Smells great. I got the coconut and pineapple, which Chrissy appreciates. <laughs> and, um, you know, it got, has all the same stuff going for it that, uh, that, um, the deodorant has. Like you, you don't, you doesn't have the odd stuff in there and such that you don't want to know about yeah, it. You can actually look at the list of ingredients and recognize that they're things that you've heard about before <laughs> as opposed to... It's free of chemical addict... It says... I'll read it from the talking voice. It's free of chemical actives, oxybenzone, octanoxate, and avobenzone. Oh, those familiar <laughs> words. You don't have to have that stuff on your, uh, on your screen, right? So give your skin the protection it deserves with natives... Uh, mineral sunscreens go to native deo deo like deodorant native deo.com slash gleeman use the promo code gleeman at checkout and you will get 20 percent off your first order that's native deo.com slash gleeman use the promo code gleeman at checkout native deo.com go get up there in the sun and uh, use some subscribe. and our last uh last sponsor is my bookie that's right uh, so mlb is back in the full swing obviously my bookie can be your one-stop shop for all your betting needs with a wide range of betting options including money lines run totals totals futures my bookie gives you plenty of ways to bet on your favorite teams and players yeah you can also take advantage of brand new my bookie money bag which gives you the chance to secure a bet on your favorite team or player at insanely boosted odds you just sign up today at my bookie and use the promo code gleeman and just secures a first deposit bonus of up to one thousand bucks it's simple just deposit 200 bucks and play with 300 bucks instantly just use the promo code gleeman to claim your bonus so if you're a baseball fan looking to add some excitement for the season, look no further than my bookie. Sign up now. Uh, get ready to experience the thrill of baseball betting like <laughs> never you before. Bet anything, anytime, anywhere with my bookie. Can you imagine how much more exciting the White Sox uh, Twins games would have been if you also had uh-huh. money on those? Yeah. <laughs> sure. That would have driven bookie. me oh. fully insane. Uh, since last free episode they officially placed uh made and maui on the il right. yep. but we knew last friday kind of what the situation is they've there's no official timetable on maeda there is official timetable on maui in that he's been shut down for a minimum of four weeks yeah. so there's like three weeks left of that right. but that doesn't mean he's going to jump into the rotation uh three weeks from now that's fully shut down for four weeks means you're looking at Several weeks to ramp back up and a rehab assignment and rejoining the rotation at some point after that. Um, you know, he's made nine starts for the Twins since they traded three good prospects to get yeah. him. Three of them he's left early yeah. with injuries. You know, when he's not leaving starts early with injuries, he's been pretty good. I mean, yeah. you can certainly right. – there's plenty of evidence of the pitcher they were hoping to get which is he's got a good fastball. He generally throws strikes. He gives up a few too many homers. But, I mean, he's a solid, I would say, number two or number three starter. Even at whatever the diminished capacity has been, it's just you can no longer I wonder, count I, on him at all, unfortunately. I'll be interested to see in the second half of the season how this plays out. He comes back from – he gets the rest he needs, the information right. or whatever he's dealing with goes down. You know, how do things – how do they – adjustments to they make to try and yeah. keep this stuff under control. I don't know. So. All the all the talking points of last year of, you know, the lockout and the short spring, he didn't yeah. have time to build up shoulder strength and all that. Well, now it's his elbow. It's not even his shoulder. Right. Yep. I mean, it's all 
interconnected at some point. Obviously, right. if you have fatigue or if you have soreness in one area, you could be compensating for the other. But it's just – it's unfortunate. I mean, that, that trade was the biggest – they made three trades at the deadline, including the Lopez trade. But this trade was one of the bigger swings they've made. It's the biggest swing they've made at midseason in terms right. of trading uh, Spencer Steer, Christian Encarnacion Strand, and uh, Steve Hajar, uh, left-handed pitcher. You know, Steer is already the starting third baseman for the Reds, although he hasn't been particularly good. Encarnacion, I saw, had a three-homer game yesterday <laughs> yeah, at AAA, back, so he's yeah. going to be in the Reds lineup very soon. Hajar, they traded and hasn't pitched yet this year. But, you know, that trade... It, it's already a. I mean, it's a bad trade. Uh, <laughs> yeah. No matter almost no matter what happens, so like obviously if Mally comes back and they win the World Series, sure, right, yeah. But I'm just saying, dominant. Realistically, yeah, right. they've it's they've already ruled out getting back from that trade what they hope to get back right. from that trade. Right. He might have, I don't know, a dozen starts left in the Twins uniform if things go reasonably well. He's only made like I said nine so far. Right. I mean, when they traded for him, they were hoping he would make forty something starts in a Twins uniform right. uh, for that trade. Instead, he's at nine, and getting much past nine is right. very much up in the air. You know, as it's one of those trades where it's already not good. It was risky at the time, but I think we agreed. You know, people have been clamoring for them to go get some frontline pitching, and they did it. Yeah, I think it made sense. But you know, when you start to deal with injured pitchers, it didn't work. Stuff yeah, evaporates right. in a hurry, and so yeah, that it's one of those trades where it already looks bad. And it's not going to get better probably because the future value part of the trade is going to always favor the Reds. Yeah. That's when you trade prospects for for veterans. So it does give us a chance to see Ober. I'm looking forward to seeing more of him. You know, he's definitely been a different pitcher second time through the order than the first time through the order. I'm not sure. It'll be interesting to see how if he gets to the point where he's a little bit more comfortable uh, handling that and can get you know beyond 5.2 innings, which is where he's ended up the last couple tries. So yeah. So the the two injuries. Open the door, like you said, for Ober to replace Maeda, basically, and Varlin to replace uh, Maui. And as a duo, if you would have set out a spring training, do you think the duo of Maeda and Maui for, let's say, 50 starts is significantly better than the potential duo of Ober and Varlin for 50 starts this season? I think that's very was very debatable coming out of spring training. I think having seen... The version of Maeda. I had higher hopes for Malley than you did, but I, so I would have said yes. But you mean yeah. to say I was the low man on Tyler Malley all, all off season and all spring? Yeah, that's me. Um, low man on Tyler Malley, which I suppose there's more company on that anti bandwagon now. But uh, I'll I'll stay on there. I've been on there the whole time. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think realistically, Ober is a better pitcher at this stage than Maeda until proven otherwise. Varlin is much less proven than even Ober. Sure. But, and I, I do think Mally, when healthy, is a good pitcher, but I didn't think Mally was going to be healthy, and he isn't healthy now. So the nice part is they're turning to their sixth and seventh starter on right. the you know opening day depth chart, and their sixth and seventh starter would both be have been in their opening day rotation for 75% of the league, Ober probably for 90% of the league. They're realistically more like a number three starter and a number five starter, let's say. Right. Um, that's the good news. The other good news is, you know, beyond this season, the odds were no matter what happened this season, both Maui and Maeda were going to be not on the Twins in 2024 and beyond because they're both impending free agents. The good news is if if Ober and or Varlin pitch well and stay healthy, you can start to map them out as part of a future rotation for 
years to come, right. especially yeah. in Varland's right. case. Yep. Um, and so that's, I think, adds a dimension to as you evaluate these guys, which is, you know. Where you do want to invest your innings. Right. Yeah. And so to your point yeah. of what happens if Maui gets healthy in six weeks or what happens if Maeda in the second half is like, okay, I'm ready to return. I think there's, you know, now odds are one of the five current starters will be hurt because <laughs> right, yeah. as we've seen, starters get hurt. And so maybe that's a moot point. But I do think that if you are in July we'll or see. something and it's like Maeda is ready yeah. to return, I think there's a decent chance that the Twins are justified in saying – yeah, okay, but uh, so what? Yeah, Ober's a, better. It's going to be a balancing act. I mean, it's always a balancing act into how much you invest in the future versus how much you play for the present. Right. right? And But, you know, if <laughs> if the young guy is doing better in the present and provides more for the future. Yes. Then what's the argument for the, you know, the other the, guy? Other the, than the, the argument becomes what the hell do we do with the roster spot? <laughs> like, well, are, we, yeah. you know, are we ditching an asset here that we might need to have? That's which is you know where we what's it over down to the first place over down in the first place really yeah I mean it's going to be very tough to send either of those guys back right. to AAA after if they've had ten good starts or right. something like that now they have to have the ten good starts yep. first so that's hardly guaranteed um, let's see a couple other things uh, so now the next in line for the rotation are probably Hedrick Brent Hedrick and Simeon Woods Richardson which those are great number seven and number eight starters on a depth chart. They're <laughs> right, not yeah. that great of six, seven starters. Or They're four all... and five, which is where they would end up with a couple more injuries. Well, yeah, there's that John Bonus optimism that I like to see. Right. Uh, the Twins this season are 14 and five in games started by Pablo Lopez, Sonny Gray, or Joe Ryan. Yeah. They are 0 and four in Maeda's starts. Yeah. So that gives you a sense of, you know, the extent to which good starting pitching has carried them sure. and what happens when they don't get right, yeah. good starting pitching, yeah. basically. Um, <laughs> let's see. A few other things we'll finish up here just to cross all these things off the list. Uh, not at the level of Buxton, obviously, but Correa is starting to pull the ball a little bit more. Had a couple homers in this series. Yeah. Uh, still some weird at-bats, I would say. He seems to be taking a lot of fastballs for strikes and then having to chase later in at bats because yeah. he's behind, which just to me is, is a guy who's just out of whack in general. But if you look at his numbers since he missed, I don't know, four or five games with the back problems in mid-April, I think he's slugging like 430, something like yeah. that. He's got a 310 on base percentage. He's had some bad luck in terms of balls in play. We saw that yesterday. He lined at one hopper to second, and it was a double play. Could have easily driven in a run there. He's also basically started every game at shortstop yes. since Farmer got hurt, which right? Which like, essential for right. him because the backup shortstop is either Nick Gordon or Willie Castro, which right. you don't want to play a full game with at that point. So that's been big for them. Miranda had three homers in four games and then went right back to – all the bad things that we've seen yeah, for most of the season. I, it also, I'll tell you, his throws across the diamond, uh, not really gunning it from third base to first base. I'm wondering, you know, he had that shoulder problem in spring training. I'm yeah, just, so it's a weird thing because it's like, is it the shoulder or is it just that he doesn't have a good arm? Because uh, that's well, also true. But it, I thought he had a lot more zip on that ball sure. earlier in the season than he has recently. So Well, that's not good because he was supposedly healthier like he shouldn't be less healthy now than he was. Well, that's what I'm, that's what I'm saying. Right. Well, I mean, <laughs> if, he, if he's hurt again with the shoulder, right. uh, he ought not to be playing. I think that right. becomes potentially a factor 
if Kyle Farmer is back as uh, soon as they think he could be back. Because Kyle Farmer has started a rehab assignment with St. Paul. Yes. He's played now two games or three games. Uh, and with Farmer, there's no – I don't mean to be insensitive, but there's no normal injury here <laughs> that he has to, like, test out. Right. It's a facial and teeth and dental injury. Yeah. Now, there's a kind of uh, psychological sure, component of, of right. what, how, what, how does he react when he gets a curveball that makes his knees buckle – Right. Uh, from yeah. a right-handed pitcher the first time. Right. Yeah. So that's a component. But he basically just needs some at-bats and to kind of get back into playing shape. Right. It's not, oh, I have to test my elbow or I have to you know, make sure my hamstring's fine or right. like Kirilov, I have to make sure my wrist doesn't start hurting. He's got bigger issues than that. I mean, believe <laughs> me, I saw the pictures and I talked to him a week after and it was right. his face is a disaster zone. Uh, and now he's back to looking, uh, like he said, my, good, my normal – pretty self and but that's talking that's coming from two guys whose faces are a disaster yeah my zone. face uh, <laughs> n- all day every day is a disaster zone and nothing even happened to me i was just born like this um this is hard living that's 40 years of hard living um so yeah when, when he comes back obviously the the move to make straightforward would be willie castro but then beyond that if he's your backup shortstop do you feel more comfortable yeah talking about What's with Miranda? Now, Miranda's got a week or 10 days or something to get back on track and make yep. that a moot point. But I think that's worth watching. Similar to the Larnick-Kirloff situation, a little bit worth watching. Yeah. Uh, Nick Gordon snapping out of what was a horrendous oh. slump to begin the season. What, all a, pick the, up, what a pickup he was yes. <laughs> this week. Uh, oh. All the expected numbers with him early in the season, I think his expected batting average at one point was 270, and his actual batting right. average was like 090. Right. Um, and he's a believer in that because I remember last year I talked to him about that, that David Popkins. It's easy to believe in that when you're 170 points below yes, it. <laughs> but last year, Popkins talked to him about that right. and the same thing happened, which was right. he kept telling him, your expected slugging is great. Keep doing what you're doing. And then yeah. in the second half, we saw the numbers start to even out a little bit. So uh, if he starts to play a little bit more in center field – Against right, well, especially given the fact that you know Taylor had a sore back a little bit, right. so it's giving Taylor a chance to not. Taylor also one of the guys who played the most games for the Twins yes. up to this point. I don't think that was ever really part of the plan. So where the Miranda thing really could come to a head is with Royce Lewis well, in yeah. a month from now. Let's right, say yeah. optimistically, yeah, that's a good point. Um, because it's one thing to say we have Kyle Farmer available to thir- play third base, who's you know right. a borderline starting caliber player, really good backup, but a borderline starter. It's another thing to say if Miranda's hitting you know two twenty with a six hundred OPS and Royce Lewis is raring to go, then that becomes a I would say a pretty easy decision at that point. But that's probably a month away. Uh, let's see, there was one other thing I wanted to say, eh, maybe not. Brooks Lee still doing pretty well, isn't he? Yes. Yeah. Still doing pretty well, like as in you're going to be saying that for like 20 years. <laughs> that's your approach to Brooks Lee. Through a 310 batting yeah. average right he's, now in uh, he can Tulsa, yeah. yeah. So he's playing shortstop. I'm just making sure he's still healthy. Wichita, not Tulsa. Uh, that's what I mean. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, he's been good. Not amazing, but good. Heating up a little bit. Hitting a lot of doubles. Uh, not striking out very much. Uh, let's see. They sent Trevor McGill to the Brewers. We talked more about that on the Patreon side. Um, yeah. Let's see. Trevor McGill fumbled the bag in the <laughs> modern day. This is what the kids say, right? Kids from 10 fumbled years ago. the bag. Yeah, he had the money. Is that he what had the, the bag? <laughs> okay. and he fumbled it. Uh, I think I'm using that correctly. I'm 40 years old, and I wasn't cool <laughs> when I was 20, so I'm certainly not cool when I'm 40. Uh, they gave Trevor McGill every opportunity 
to be in this bullpen coming out of spring training. And at every turn, he screwed it up on and <sighs> off the field. And then he got sent to AAA and screwed it up even more. And now he's out of the organization. Right. So we'll see what happens to him in Milwaukee. Brock Stewart, who essentially replaced him, looked pretty good uh, from a stuff standpoint. The question with him, I think, is just can he throw strikes consistently? Because right. Brock Stewart, yeah. he has been fan has. Throwing ninety seven, yeah, I'm not, I'm not, especially for somebody who just well, I mean, it's not like he doesn't have any major league experience. We should just give yeah, a little bit of it background. Was, it. it was bad experience. Was <laughs> yeah, yeah, but two thousand sixteen through two thousand nineteen or something, he was a reliever with the Dodgers, kind of a swingman with the, with the Dodgers, and uh, didn't out of baseball. He's thirty some years old. He's not a young, a young. Uh, you know, twenty-five-year-old, twenty-six-year-old guy. Is that the word you were looking? Well, for? what I was trying to say is, you know, he's not somebody. He's like been considered a prospect up to this, up to this point, well, he you know, used or something to be. like that. Yeah, yeah, right. Once upon a time, he was. Uh, but seeing him no, perform, you, should, you know, getting back here and you know, you know, occasionally dealing with the walk in an inopportune place or something like that, but he definitely has the stuff to strike guys out, which is right. why he got out if of a you couple showed games. this version of Rock Stewart to Dodgers fans. They would yeah. not recognize him because yeah. he was right. yeah. 91, 92 with the fastball. Now he's 97 with the fastball. <laughs> right. Just completely different pitcher. Uh, let's see. I had one That's other. after Tommy John. It's after Tommy John and then another elbow problem right. after that. Um, last thing, and then we're done. Can you remember so far back as a month ago? <laughs> I and all not. the t- Probably not, actually. <laughs> and all the talk of. Max Kepler's batting average on balls in play and the shift yeah. and all this stuff. <laughs> yeah. uh, he's hitting 233. His career average is 232. <laughs> he has one of the lowest batting averages on balls in play in all of Major League Baseball, just very slightly higher than his career mark. Yeah. Uh, and he's had some hits because people remind me of this because I've <laughs> – made the same rant before uh, every time he singles on a ground ball anywhere i get 10 tweets telling me <laughs> see that fixed by the shift and i just want to say now okay i'll buy into that how's he still hitting 233 uh, if that's uh, the uh, case yeah. uh he's got ops plus of over 100 now he's been he's been he's had a decent run since he came back from the the injury well I can tell you his OPS plus was 130 like seven days ago, and now it's 108 or something like that. But he's been fine. He's been Max Kepler. Uh, they knew what they were getting by bringing him back. There was maybe some optimism that he could uh, take it to another level. It's still early, obviously, but it's the thing we talked about with him all offseason, really, which is, yeah, he's going to get a few singles here or there that he wouldn't have, that would have been outs under a normal situation. But A, they still shift him. Yes, right. they're not Correct. not yes. shifting. Right, yeah, right, it's just right. not quite as extreme of a right. shift. And B, and this is what I've tried to preach about Max Kepler for five years. It's not the shift that is killing him. It's the type of balls he puts in play well, that even are Max killing. Max Kepler him. said that is pretty true. Right. Yeah, even Max Kepler said something like, "I only get a couple of ground balls right. through I the mean, right field." Here's the thing: right. if you're a corner outfielder and you're banking on the outcome of ground balls. To the second right. base yeah, side, right. fixing you, you're beyond being fixed yeah. at that point. And he still pops the ball up a lot. Yeah, he a lot still of fly balls. hits choppers and weak fly balls and center field. Essentially yeah. automatic outs to the point that the strikeout rate is meaningless. And so I don't know. I just, it's very early. And maybe he goes on a, a stretch here where two weeks from now I'm saying, oh my God, he's hitting 275 yeah, he's and it's frozen ropes everywhere. Right. But, you know, just a reminder <laughs> that wish fulfillment doesn't go that far in baseball. You can 
say, oh my God, the shifts are banned. No, they're not banned. Oh my God, that's going to lead to 50 new hits. No, I think we cited the math on it was like maybe seven singles for him for a year. I remember talking about this. Ultimately, yeah, we did talk about it a little bit. And I've saw various different uh, estimates, including some from within the Twins organization based on studies and such that had anywhere from like Seven to twenty-seven, right? Uh, new singles, but the problem is that they're all singles. First of all, right? And, right? That you know, this isn't going to be something that boosts. I mean, it helps batting average. Batting average boosts on base percentage. And it's, right. a, it's worth double a point on OPS. But yes, if you're, but right. like I said, if you're banking on ground ball singles saving you, right, yeah. you're in big trouble. So again, as we talk about Kirloff and we talk about Larnick and we talk at some point about Walner, who's playing very well at AAA right now. The the Kepler situation right. will remain a situation. Yeah, right, right, yeah. Best way to put it. Okay, but uh, Kepler's predicted by Lardick right now. <laughs> yeah, that's like I, I say before. If you're being attacked, if you're in the woods and a bear is attacking you, you do not have to run faster than the bear. bear. Right. You just have to run faster than the person next to you. <laughs> and he's running slightly faster than Trevor Larnick as the Alex Kirloff Which bear chases Which would run him. faster than the other if we were being chased by a bear right now? I got to hope you because you actually run. Well. Right? Yeah, but I'm not a speed guy. <laughs> Am I a speed guy? <laughs> It takes me 15 minutes to stand up. Which of, our, which of our knees would hold up more? Not mine. By the way, if you're bear would just get a two for on that deal. If you're if you're uh, on the fence about yeah, bears like this is a lot to eat. I'll come I'm just back. Gonna later. Swat you down. And I'm gonna come back again. It's I'm a, gonna get the other guy. It's now. like a buffet. All you can eat. Uh, if you were on the fence about joining the Patreon, yes, p a t r e o n dot com, Patreon dot com slash Gleeman. This reminds me that on the Wednesday episode two days ago, we spent a solid eight to ten minutes. Uh, analyzing which one of us would win in a fight because that was a mailbag right, question. Yes, and we right. really did a deep dive that's on right. it. And I think we concluded both of us would have a heart attack before the fight ended. And it would end in a draw, I think is what they – or no contest. Maybe. We will be back on Monday with a review of the Cleveland series. That's something that you need at the Patreon. You can also uh, – the Wednesdays, we're often doing a mailbag. You can get your questions into us, get them read. Yeah, patreon.com. Slash Gleeman, we would love to have you join us. You just pay a buck for new episodes when they come out. It's very simple. Commercial free. Yes. A lot more deep dives and stuff and reactions right after games and all that. But this episode was not commercial free. So we're going to just thank my bookie and Native and Raycon and Stamps and, uh, oh, Sunday, Uh GetSunday.com, and then also Grody Beef. And congratulations to David Campbell. It is uh, is. I've never heard anybody call him David before. That's interesting. Uh, (laughs) Congratulations to Dave Campbell. I'm going to launch an investigation about this. I think this is like the quiz show thing from the 1960s where it's like something's afoot. We will be back, like John said, Monday for the uh, Patreon subscribers, of which you should consider becoming one. And uh, we'll talk to you later.